When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They called him the Hammer. That was his nickname. He used to, you know, he used to put a lot of seats, people in the seats, apparently, because as soon as they dropped the puck, he'd just grab somebody and start feeding them, you know. And he was drunk on the ice a lot, is the stories I hear. You know, he'd put a 40 down before the game. They'd go out, drop the puck, and he'd just go toe-to-toe with somebody. And apparently he wasn't a very good fighter. He Got beat a lot, but the crowd used to love it. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as this team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable. I'm sorry, I'll hang up and listen, I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind the mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 26 of Two Goalies, One Mike. Um, you know, we talked earlier about what's going on in the, the NHL today with the conclusion of the play-in round. Um, and, you know, we'll get to that more after our, our guest here. But this is a big one for us here. Me and Dwayne are, are definitely excited. We are joined by a local legend, 15-year NHL veteran, now doing color commentary for the Buffalo Sabres, none other than Rob Ray. Razor, thank you for joining us here. I'm a big fan. I know Dwayne is too, but it's just a real pleasure for us having you on, man. Well, you're smart guys. You picked the right people to uh, support. No, I'm kidding. I appreciate <laughs> it. appreciate uh, being asked to do it, and I love doing this kind of thing. This keeps you kind of in that loop a little bit and keeps you on the ball. So, yeah, it's uh, looking forward to it here. Listen, Razor, uh, you were always one of my favorites growing up, you know, with you, it was you, Patty, um, and obviously Dom for me, um, you know, me and Cully being goalies. But you, the one thing I always liked about you as I got older is you were, you were just a straight shooter, man. Like you, you, you didn't mince words, man. You told it how it was. And I, I have a memory because me and my dad, we had club level seats. Uh, I was a season ticket holder back when they first moved into was Marie Midland Arena. And we used to get invited to those dinners at the, was it the Samuel L. Grand Manor. Uh, yeah, where you, the booster yeah, club had, dinners. Yep, the booster club, exactly, the booster club dinners. And I remember it was Patty was injured or whatever, and I, I was looking for you specifically because you were, like, my second favorite player at the time and uh, as a little kid. And um, I flat out asked you, I'm like, do you think Pat's going to come back? And, I, like, me and my dad, my dad's probably thinking some, like, you know, you know, heart, heart, you know heartly uh, response or whatever. And you were just like, no, you're not coming back. I wouldn't expect him to come back. Sorry, kid. I was like, you really totally broke my heart. 
but like it was just so funny the way you did it and i'm just like eh, whatever hey I, i'm not into <laughs> the whole sugarcoat stuff and, yeah you know all the political rightness and all that kind of i'm gonna say it the way it is there's no sense yeah. lying you know the thing is people in this town are educated fans whether it's football yeah. or hockey and they know and they know if you're bsing them so and they don't want to hear it they want to hear in our business what was good what was bad why did that mm -hmm. happen why did they have success and why why sugarcoat it and try to put it in a in a in a yeah. way that you know are you sure that's what you no well, i'm gonna tell you i don't care and <laughs> I think all, that, yeah. you know and i and i think there's a lot of people out there that sometimes have a problem with that too because they don't want to hear the truth sometimes or the way you put it and and others uh you know appreciate it so i'm, I'm not going to change to you know appease you know the politically correct just to, to because i got to do it i'm going to tell you what this is not in a bad way i'm just going to tell the truth what went on what was right what was wrong yep. well i definitely appreciate that we're now yeah, in for the sure. age of you know the typical cliche answers and in interviews and and i think that uh you know, as, as I get into the, you know, the broadcasting, I've done some color commentary for some OHL games, Razor, and, and, and look at you as a role model because, like you said, you tell it how it is, and, and you don't get that enough today. And, uh, you know, it's appreciated on this end. So uh, before I get into the, to your, your playing career, I have a quick story to tell. Um, I was playing in the Bowman Cup as a junior, and you were one of the coaches, and I was a bit of a wise-ass at the time. And me and uh, Matty Ocharzek, a, a teammate of mine, were standing in the, in the tunnel at the HSBC Arena, it was at the time, and, and you were walking by, and the guys were egging me on, hey, Cully, Cully, say something to Razor. And I said, hey, Razor, you want to go? And without hesitation, I got my helmet on. You just give me a quick bop right right in the cage. And I just fucking <laughs> loved it. And, you know, just no nuts, just boom. You want one? And I was thinking you were going to say something. Nope, just gave me one right in that, right in the cage. And that shut me right up. And I'll never forget that, man. That I was, was trying to wake you up for the game so you'd be ready you to go. You shut up Johnny you know? Cullen. Hey, you well, whatever up. you did, it worked because I pitched a shutout, not a big deal. Well, there you go. No. See that? You yeah. owe me. Yeah, exactly. You shut up Johnny Cullen. That's a very hard thing to do, man. I trust you. Once you get him going, you can't shut him up ever. He's like Pierre. Well, hey, don't throw me in that <laughs> boat here. Fuck. That's you look like you got a lot more hair, though, so that's okay. So, um, you know, Are you four I, foot tall? Are you four foot tall and three foot wide? No. <laughs> then you look no, nothing no, like Pierre, no. okay? Five, nothing like Pierre. So or I the, got Mr. Magoo, the Mr. Magoo glasses. Oh, God, never, never. Never. I'm terrible looking, but you know, not in that way. So I'll give you that. Um, so, Hey, I, I know that we don't, we're, we're kind of pressed for time here, but uh, we always like to start out about, you know, coming up through the ranks. So, yep. um, you know, you're, you're born in Sterling, Ontario, you know, you play tier two there with the, the Whitby lawmen. Um, and then you get drafted in the OHL. What was it like playing in, in Cornwall? I know they're now a defunct organization, uh, but I got to spend some time in Kingston, and, and I, I loved my time up there, um, you know, in, in Northeast uh, Ontario. What was that like? What was your experience like in the, in the OHL? And, um, you know, kind of you playing your way into getting selected in the fifth round for the Sabres? Well, it's not Northeast Ontario. It's Southeast Ontario, okay? Oh, that's Just so it right. Like that. It's it right along the lake, and you can't get much south, more south than, you know, especially Kingston and straight on Lake Ontario. I'm kidding. I was good. I played, I played till I was 14 in my hometown and my town was a small town, 1200 people. You know, every kid that tried out for the team made it. You fought over who was going to be the goalie and, and it was fun, but, I, but small town, Canada, hockey is a religion. And 
And, and it was so great to be a part of because we always had good teams in our town. And when there was a big game going on at the rink, the, the town shut down. Everybody was packed into the rink. And that was the place to be. And it was, it was just a good, good time. Uh, from, and, and I'm talking from novice hockey all the way up to juvenile hockey. When the playoffs were on, that building was packed and people were there were supporting their teams. And I left there and went to play junior B in Trenton uh, when I was 15 years old. Uh, the following year, I went and played Tier 2 in Whitby, Ontario, which is near Toronto, uh, for 16 years old. And from there, I got drafted to Cornwall. And Cornwall was an amazing place. It, it's one of those places like Buffalo that gets a bad rap about a lot of things. And Cornwall, there's a paper plant there and all that at the time. And, you know, it wasn't the most pleasant-smelling place all the time. But the people were sick. They were beautiful. They were great. And I had the best opportunity to live with a couple families there uh, as billets that were fantastic that, you know, kind of helped you grow and were there for you. And they were, you know, they were substituting for your family. And on, it was on great. Some hills it in your hockey. Yeah. And it was, it was something that uh, was the greatest experience ever. And for my family, you know, I built it from the time I was 15 years old on. So it, it, was, it was a scary experience at the time. But you kind of got used to it a little bit. And, you know, once I got to Cornwall, it was great. I played with some really good players. You know, Ray Shepard played here. Joe Rickey played here. Uh, you know, I ended up playing Matthew Schneider. We didn't have a ton of guys that made yeah. the pros. Rick Tabaracci, goaltender. Rick Tabaracci, yep. Yeah, so I, not a ton of guys that played in the pros, but we, we, we had pretty decent teams. And it was, it was such a great learning experience playing in the OHL. It was fantastic. And then when, you know, from there to come here, it was – it was nice because, you know what, I, when I did get to come here, I really didn't even know where Buffalo was. But the relationship of Ray Shepard and Joe Rickey when I, when I got here that I knew them, it helped so much because Ray and, and Joe were super, super guys and having the chance to play with them for a year before they left. And, you know, you had that foundation of, of friendship. So, you know, it made that transition when you came here a lot easier because they were great and they held your hand and helped you out. And, they had already had a couple of years on their belt under pro hockey. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, I was very thankful to have those guys when I got here. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you get obviously uh, drafted uh, by Buffalo in the fifth round, like Cully said, um, and you played a few years in Rochester. One of the names I did notice uh, in your time with Rochester, I was bringing up the Cully kind of joker because we didn't even know this guy existed. Did you play with one of Gretzky's brothers, Keith? Keith. Yeah. Yeah, my first year there, Keith was Keith was an original draft pick to the Sabres. And he played there, I think it was my first year. 88-89 was my first year pro. Played that full year in Roch. And then 89-90 was my first chance to come here. And I played half the season here, half there. Um, yeah, Keith was a, he was a beauty. And now he's, you know, he's with Edmonton. He's, uh, he, I don't think he's an assistant GM or something in Edmonton now. And, you know, you never would have thought a guy like that would have been in those positions because back then he was just a, you know, just kind of a sloppy, lazy, hey, you know, took the world as it came, and but a good guy. And yeah. you know, nothing like his brother, trust me, as, as a player, or even nothing like his, his younger brother uh, that, that ended up playing a little bit afterwards. But, yeah, Keith's a good guy. He was a lot of fun. And I'll tell you, just entertainment. There was constant entertainment around this guy when you were in the, in the room. So... Yeah, it was it was a good experience. So was was did you guys ever give him a hard time? You know, with uh, you know, with how great Wayne was, and he was just kind of there in Rochester. 
Yeah. Well, the older guys did that. You know, the older guys did that, you know, about the genes and, you know, what happened, you you know, you got the same parents type thing. But you know what? I think guys at that point, because Wayne was such a super, super, superstar and above everybody else, that guys understood that. And and they, they would never try to put Keith in the bad situation and make him look bad and feel bad. He probably carried the weight of the world on his shoulders anyways when he played that uh, I think most guys were, were pretty cool with it. When it did happen, he knew it was in a joking way, and they did it in a very good way, too, because I think it would be extremely hard, extremely hard, you know, following your brother's footsteps like that. I, I know what it's like for guys that have kids that, you know, play, and everybody compares them to their fathers and all that, and I think that's that's the worst thing to have to throw on somebody to have to carry that title because they all think that, oh, your old man made it, then you know, why don't you, or why aren't you better? And, you know, all this kind of thing. And sometimes I've seen it where it's all, it's chased the kids away from the game because they, they didn't want to deal with that at a young age and couldn't deal with it at a young age. Well, I wanted to ask, you know, we, we, we've talked to a ton of goalies, uh, you know, throughout this show, but you know, a lot of guys get, get, you know, lost in the minors and you had a pretty quick transition and I think what gets lost in, in you, you know, being such a notorious fighter is that you can play the game. And, and, you, and obviously the game has changed um, now where, you know, we're trending away from, you know, having a few enforcers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back then, you know, you had to be able to play just like you do now. Um, but, you know, notching seven, over 700 penalty minutes in 125 games, you know, is no small feat. And, and back then, you know, the American League, it's, it's, it's a jungle. And having to, you know, you're fighting for roster spots. There's good hockey players that, you know, never find a way to, to get there, um, you know, take that next step in their career. You found a way to do it in less than, you know, two years. Um, you know, what was that like for you? And, and was that how you kind of found your, your, your role as more of an enforcer? And, you know, how did that, that go for you and kind of shaping your career? Well, I wasn't a stranger to fighting when I got here. You know, because junior hockey in Ontario League was it was a rough and tumble. It, you were expected to, to be able to handle yourself. Even in Tier 2 and Junior B, like that was – I was 15, 16 years old in, in those bottom two leagues playing against, you know, 20-plus-year-old guys because uh, – and, and they played hard. So you had to survive. It was a game of survival. And then in the OHL, you know, it didn't matter if you were a superstar in the team or, you know, the worst player in the team. They all played the same way. They all played hard. But we all had to know the game to get to this point. And and that's the big thing that most people look at it that, you know, you, you played that role all the way coming up through, and that's all you can be. Well, that's farthest from the truth. There's not a guy that played in the NHL that wasn't a, a superstar player at some point in his career. You know, in junior, my last year, I had over 50-some points, and you killed penalties. You know, you didn't do power play as much, but you, you were that guy that uh, defensively very sound. But when I went to Roch that year, John Van Boxmeyer said to me, he said, look, there's an opportunity for you to take the next step, and it might be the only way to take that next step. And this is what they're looking for. This is what they want. Are you willing to do it? And he didn't even have it out of his mouth. And I said, show me how. Teach me how. Because you wanted to make it so bad. Mm-hmm. So that year I had over 400, I had 446 minutes of penalties. I had 46 fighting majors, I think that year. Wow. In like 63 games. So from the point he told me till, you know, the season was over, your eyes were black all the time. You couldn't see out of them. Your hands couldn't hold on to the stick, but you paid that price. 
And then that price you paid opened up the door for you to get the opportunity the next season. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't as if you come in there and that's what you're going to do. That, that, those guys didn't survive. The guys that could play the game and were responsible on the ice, maybe not putting up big numbers offensively, but defensively, you had to be sound and responsible. And I think that, uh, you know, in my case, I could skate. I could skate very well. Um, and, you know, so you could create a lot of havoc in that from there. And then when the time comes to handle yourself, over time, you learn how to do it. And you became comfortable with it. And, and it was not something you looked forward to and you wanted to go out and do it. It was a shitty job. But, it, uh, you know, you knew that that's what you had to do to, to survive in the game. And you're willing to do that. So there's a lot of guys that did it that didn't understand the role itself of when to, when not to, how to use it as a tool. And a lot of the times they don't get the coaching side. I was very fortunate that Rick Dudley was my first coach here. And then, you know, you had Ted Nolan, John Muckler. You know, these guys understood that game. So they allowed you to play that game. And they knew what it was all about. They understood it. So it made a big difference as well. Yeah, and you also had two other guys on that team too. With I mean, you almost had double their penalty minutes. But Brad Miller and uh, Jim Hoffert also – each had 273 and 233 uh, penalties and minutes. So you guys, you guys were when when they, when they came to Rochester, man. Like you know, you go into the corners, man. You're you know, you know, you're gonna get hit. If you know, if you if you take liberties on one of the star players in Rochester, you're gonna have to answer for it. So well, you, you know, we guy had guys like we had guys like Jody Gage and uh, you know that were they were valuable offensive guys. And our line mm -hmm. was actually myself, Scott Metcalf, and Kevin Kerr. And nobody wanted to play against us because those guys could play the game too. They could put the puck in the net. They could knock your head off if they wanted to. We had so we lived together, the three of us. And for a year there, you pretty much lived the lifestyle off the ice as you did on the ice. And it was just like, welcome to the minor leagues. And this is what it's all about. On the bus, you know, drinking draft beer and, you know, eating peanut butter sandwiches because you're not getting paid nothing. And, you know, that was, that was the way you were brought up. So when you got that chance to take that next step, you appreciated it so much more because it was like going from nothing to a country club. And it was like, wow, this is where I want to be. This is what it's all about. So you didn't want to ever let it go. Well, no, I, no. I think it's great that your first, you know, when you do get the call, you score a goal in your first shift. Right. And, and yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, you're skating. It's not only that, but I don't think, you know, the casual hockey fan realizes just how important that the balance on your skates is when you're in a fight. And, you know, it served you well throughout your career. And I wanted to bring up quickly, um, you know, in, in, your, in your, your tilts and then the bringing in the tie-down rule, just how, how you were able to, you know, not only take a punch, but, you know, get, get out of your, your, you know, that tie-down and them implementing that rule, what became the Rob Ray rule. I thought that's great. It's named after you. But, you know, just going back and watching some of your fights, talking to Dwayne about it between, you know, Dennis Vial and Ty Domi. And, oh, I uh, love the Dennis Vial fights. Oh, I love the Vial fights. Just yeah. some great. Oh, those are the, <laughs> I love the Vial. Domi fights in a league of their own, but Vial was fun to yeah. watch. Denny the dancing bear. Yeah. No, Denny was a gamer, man. He loved to do it, but. Yeah, I went from, you know, it was a time back then where there was a lot of experimenting going on with how you had your jersey, big arms, Velcro, silicone, extra large. Mine just, it just happened. It, it came off one night and I had success with it. Our trainer at the time was totally into the fighting, Jim Pizzatelli. We started tinkering and I went from not even having a fight strap on. I'd cut it off, have the big jersey, equipment not tied onto my body, just sitting there, Velcroed into the jersey, that's it. And it came off. 
until when the rule was put in. You know, I at the time, you know, you kind of had to figure it out again. So you'd have the tie down at the back with a snap. You had a snap on the front. You went to a little tighter jersey. So you went, you made the whole full circle from one to the other. And, but you just had to learn to adapt to it. That was the rule and that's what they put in. So you had to adapt, but I was glad that I had to make that transition at a time where I was comfortable doing it. I wasn't a young kid coming in and trying to figure it out and having to change something. I was pretty comfortable at that time doing that job and, and not worrying about guys too much. So, you know, you had, you had a little more of a luxury to, to find a way that was going to work for you again. Yeah. And back then, man, like, you know, you see flights today and, you know, you know, a few hands thrown back and forth. Maybe they'll go for three. And they used to let you guys go back then. Ray, I, I, watching your highlights, there would be a foot at start behind the net or at the goal line, and it would end up at the opposite blue line. And the yeah. roster just just, just let you go. And they, you don't see that happening anymore, man. Just the stamina it took, man. Just, well, and you, you guys you, were throwing bombs. bombs. Yeah, you, you had to know when you locked into guys that it was, it was going to be a marathon. It wasn't going to be a sprint like they are now. And, you know, especially some of the older guys like Marty McSorley, Jay Miller, Chris Nyland, all these kind of guys, when you grabbed on, you better be ready and you better be in shape. Dave Brown, and, and you had to make sure that you could take the punch. Your, your balance, as you said earlier, your balance and leverage are a big thing and be able to take one or two punches to get yourself established. And, you know, once the fight gets going, you're always thinking of that next move, you know, because if your arm's tied up, you have to may have to pop to the left a little bit till you get it loosened back up, then go back to the right. You may have to duck. You may have to jive, get the helmets off, uh, get jerseys, all those kind of things. Because some everybody had a little different technique, so you had to figure it out as you go. And just you know, sometimes you got popped once in a while in that transition of of going from one thing to another. But that was the big deal. If you could you could take that and absorb it, and, and still be able to go on the offense when uh, you got yourself set for the next move i always found yeah. it incredible too that you could not only like i mentioned before eat a punch um but you could throw with your left too and um i think that gets lost too in a lot of the casual observers of it is just how important that is to be that ambidextrous you know a lot of guys they have a heavy right and then when you, you know get that switch they got nothing going uh, but even seeing someone like the the fight in 95 with dennis Vial, like like um <laughs> It's just a fucking marathon. You throw so many of these heavy lefts once he gets you there and ended up, you end a fight with just an absolute cannon of one. Um, you know, just that, just, could you talk a little bit about the respect you guys had between the guys that you did it every night against and what that relationship was like? Well, it, it was actually a pretty good relationship. You didn't, you weren't buddy, buddy with these guys. You know, you've got to know them afterwards and you've come to find out that 99% of them are awesome guys. Um, but everybody understood that role. And, and I think that to be able to be successful is when you – sometimes you had to oblige a guy in a game that you really didn't want to because – but you knew that somewhere down the road it was going to have to come back the other way. And mm -hmm. I know for Ty and myself, you know, you never skated away from each other. You always did it. You know, Denny was another guy. You know, you always did it. I give that guy a lot of credit because he was in Ottawa there for a long time, never had any help. He was the only guy, and he – he took a crap kick in a lot of the times just because he was biting off more than he could chew, but he was willing to do it. But uh, I think if you sit back and every guy that you ever did it, there wasn't too many dicks that you did it. You, you had a lot of respect for the guys. And, and, and now when you've had a chance to sit back and sit down and talk to a lot of these guys, the, the things they had to go through mentally to, to get them to that point, it was, it was a pretty amazing how you share the same thing 
that, that those guys were. And you were thinking at the time, it's just you, um, them, you know, it's like, how do you get up for the fight? And, you know, sitting on the bench and the score gets out of hand and you're just like, oh my God, don't put me on the ice because you know something was going to happen. Yep. Everybody experienced the same stuff. And it's pretty crazy that, uh, you know, now that uh, you've, you've had that opportunity, it was like, man, I was the only, I thought I was the only one that thought that way. That was, I thought I was the only one that experienced that, but we all did it. So it was cool. And, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty small fraternity. And I think that uh, our guys, we respected the opportunity we were getting. When we respected, and, and I'll tell you when we did it, that kind of kept you going is when you had a guy in the team come up to you after the game or during the game and, thanks, man, thanks for getting him off my back. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for this. You know, and, and somebody that was really good for that was Pat LaFontaine because he stirred up a lot of crap out there. And we would go address it. And, you know, he would be the first guy. Dale Howard, Chuck, same thing. Hey, thanks for taking care of that. And there's, there's no better thing that you could have as a teammate, especially guys like that, that come up and understood what the role was all about, understood the importance of it, and also just sitting there and thanking you for what you did. Yeah. Hey, real quick, a couple of clicks for Dale Howarchuk with what he is going through, guys, uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, Dale's a good you know, man, Howard I'll tell Chuck's you. Wrong. When I was in junior, yeah. my, second, my second and third year, Dale Howarchuk, Scott O'Neill actually owned uh, the Cornwall Royals. So that's like, I've known him since back then and getting the chance to play with him here and Superman, so, such a good guy and, you know, soft-spoken guy, but what a super, super talent that uh, he was in the NHL. And yeah, you pray for him every day that he can, you know, get through with what he's going through because it's a nasty thing and it's unfortunate it came back, but uh, too young a guy to be experiencing this and, you know, fingers crossed it all yeah. comes out good. And, and, and what, what, another thing you mentioned earlier with, you know, uh, you know, really getting to know these guys and who they were, because, you know, they're fighting the same battle as you are, Rob, you know, to, you know, maybe not so much you, because I feel like you always probably had, just from a leadership standpoint, always had a spot on those teams solidified for yourself. But a lot of those guys, they're, they're fighting to keep on those, stay on those teams. So they know they have to go out there and do what they have to do. Because if they don't, you know, for the most part, most of them, they don't, they're useless to those teams if they if they don't go out and do well, what they do. The worst and, the worst time of year for a guy like myself was training camp and exhibition, because you'd always have the young kids coming into training camp that wanted to prove themselves, and they wanted to take a shot at the title all the time, and you had to kind of deal with that at the beginning, and then once training camp was over, you moved into exhibition, you had to experience the same thing all over again, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks, and then it was like okay. I've made it through the hardest part of the season and you know, now let's get on to it. But I'll tell you preseason and exhibition and, and training camp sometimes were a hell for guys like us because everybody wanted, everybody wanted, everybody wants to run at the big yeah. dog. Yeah. yeah. And one of those fights that you did get into though, um, you know, when a team was, you know, you guys were down, you know, quite a bit and uh, was one of the more historic fights that we all remember was yours against Barney. Uh, and when he was with Pittsburgh and, you know, you guys, you weren't getting shellacked, but we were losing, I think it was like three or four or nothing. And, you know, he was out there kind of showboating, just having, having liberties with, uh, with this, with this, with the team. And you went out there and you did your thing. And I remember the little look on your face as he's screaming, woo, in your face, like, like it's one big kind of thing. And it was like almost like a lack of respect for what was going on on the ice and, you know, your team and who you're there, who there you're, who, you're there to serve and protect, you know, that's just the perfect yeah. example of it. Well, at that time, Barney, Barney played the game in, a, in a, a very different way than a lot of us. 
And but he was the kind of guy that was a super teammate. He did everything that he had to do to make sure that you know he came out on the top side. And his mouth was like a whipper's will's ass. It never stopped. He just kept going and going and going and going. And and him and Lindy Ross each other. And it was like it was him running his mouth off. And Lindy's like, take care of this. Get it over with. I'm sick of this. Get this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, I'm out there. And I'm like, Barney, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Because you're pissing everybody <laughs> off. And now look what happened. Hey, hey, you know. You, and he started going on. Oh, you puppet, you puppet, this and that. <laughs> That's when I got pissed. And then, you know, we went at it. And I got a great picture of it that I hit him. And it's, it's, it's the punch coming to his face, the punch hitting him, and then the follow-through. And you can see, I think it's two or three teeth, fake teeth that he had flying through the air. And I've got that oh my three-stage three stage picture um, at home here that it was like, are you kidding? That's amazing. Like with him and I, it's over. You, you skate away and... You know, after the game, it's like, what the hell were you doing, you dumbass? And then his wife would be giving him crap because he was being such a dick out there. And he's like, I don't care. You know, he's just that guy. So, trust me, him and I fought. Him and I physically fought more off the ice than we ever did on the ice. And uh, it didn't really prove much. I didn't. I, I look at him and I tell everybody that I failed as a father my first time around. So all the mistakes I made with him, I'm not going to make with my own kids because I learned what works and what doesn't work, and, and I failed with him. Oh, that's a, that's a, that, that, that's I, a teaser I, I quote right there. He's a good guy. That's a teaser quote for the episode right there. I failed with him versus the father. So I knew not, yeah. not to do with my own kids. Um, See, this one I'm not going to fail with. That little guy right there. He's not gonna. He's gonna learn right. He's gonna learn it the right way. I love it. Oh, yeah. man. Im impromptu guest star, uh, your son. That's amazing. Um, you know, obviously those those teams you were on with Buffalo too. One of my favorites was always the '96 '97 team. Uh, you were you were dubbed the uh, hardest working team in hockey. You had Dom yep. and that, and then you just had this, this this team just full. I mean, obviously a lot of it kind of relied on the, the the ability of Dom to keep you in low scoring games, but like. That one of the things yeah, my dad you know used what? to say. Yeah, you know what? You're talking about that, but but we learned to play so good defensively in front of him that there was nights oh, when okay. he was getting 20 shots and you know pitching a shutout because he wasn't getting the quality shot. Because you know, I talked to a lot of guys. We talked. We did a thing the other night with the '99 team and Pax. I mean, Pax gets so pissed off too. And I'm like, I agree 100% with you because everybody says, "Oh, you guys were only good because of Dom." Well, Dom was a hell of a goal, yes. But the way we played in front of him as a team defensively, we didn't give much up. And he was so good that the little, a lot of the times, the chances that we did give up, he made the save. So it was like, yeah, you know, it, it was a pretty tough team to play against. But I'll oh. tell you what, I talked to teams, I talked to guys now that in that era, and they said, we used to hate playing you guys. We hated oh, yeah. playing you guys because you just never knew it was going to happen. And if it wasn't you, it was Barney, it was Maisie, it was, you know, Bobby Boone, whomever we had that would just go at them and, and just make a dreadful night for them. And that was, that was fun. Like, I'll tell you, 
and you couldn't get a ticket to our building because the people appreciated, you know, the hard work, and that's what this town wants. That's what they want to see. Yep, because we're a blue collar, a blue collar city, and uh, not. I wasn't trying to take anything away from the team itself. Um, because you know, again, a lot, a lot. Yeah, of I mean, guys you guys are goalies, and you want to put all oh, the, yeah, the hoopla yeah, yeah, yeah. on the goalies. The goalies are the greatest hey, guys in the world. Hey, goalies hey. are the ones who win your championships <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I disagree. Hold on, I disagree. I don't think any team should ever pay a goalie the way they te- the way Montreal and uh, Florida paid Bobrovsky and Carey Price. Oh, really? I don't well, think I, be, I agree. Montreal wouldn't be moving on to the playoffs right now. If I agree. Carey Price. I agree. I, I agree. Bobrovsky, I agree. yeah, he's garbage. I agree. I agree. He did win them that. I did, he definitely did win them that series. But when you pay a goalie that kind of money, you do handcuff your team in other places. You do. Yeah, I think yeah. I don't. Yeah, you do. Um, I'm a big advocate of not overpaying a goalie. Big advocate. Um, but with, you know, that being said, you know teams were afraid to come and play us because again, you know, before you cut me off, it's like, oh, I was all down there. You know, you give up. I, I was getting ready to give you guys credit. You guys were a defense. You guys were a defensive, hard-nosed hockey team. Where if you went into a corner for the puck, they probably weren't coming out of it because you guys were going to knock your head, knock your heads off, and, and battle to the very end to get that puck. Whether it's in the offensive or defensive zone, it was just the thing with Buffalo. That's why we used to come to the the, the rink with hard hats on. We used to lo- you know, love watching yeah. just that hard-nosed style of play. I I, I personally love going to games with my dad, especially the games. With Toronto, with you and Domi, and I know a lot of people probably love to touch on the Domi stuff. Uh, you know, I know you guys were close, but like just those games, like especially against Toronto, man, like where you know you have it's 50 50 attendance in that arena, and just watching you guys literally just battle tooth and nail to beat the shit out of each other to get a W. I used to love those games, especially, man. Yeah, and the good thing about Toronto, Toronto never had our number back then. We, we, it didn't matter no, no. how good or bad we were. We had their number all the time. And I think a lot of the time it was because of the way we played and the style of players they had. Yeah, they had some tough guys, but they didn't play the same way we did and, like, that Pac-Man mentality all over you. So, yeah, it was good. And you know what? And We didn't have a lot of skilled guys then. You know, Miro and, you know, Michael, Michael Packer was one of the hardest-hitting guys I ever – played with or saw play to this day. When he decided to throw a body check, man, it was a devastating body check because for a smaller guy, he could hit like a truck. And it was so, so good to see. And, we, and, and, he, and he loved doing it. So you're looking at those Ask teams. Alexi, yeah. We a, yeah. Did we have a ton <laughs> of talent? No. But I'll tell you what, we worked our butts off and we were yep. a team. And, and I think that's where it comes down to as a team because we were willing to do whatever it took for each other. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they definitely didn't have your number in 98-99 game four, right, Razor? Conference yeah, finals? Yeah, well, I single-handedly broke the least back for years, man. They had a hard time recovering <laughs> from that. One of the best tips I think I've ever seen, I'm not even kidding, though, the perfect flow pass to the front of the net, and you like, like a season, like 40-goal scoring pro, just tipped it right between your legs and between Kojo's. Oh, man, that was beautiful. Was, you know that Curtis Joseph right there, he just looked up and go, we're screwed. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Cully, you want to take this one? No, I mean, hey, I, I just – I you talk about the game within the game and that, you know, you guys being so hard to play against, and it just goes to show, like, when Pekka would line somebody up for not being the biggest guy, that's a momentum swing right there. And, and guys don't want it. And, and, and you know what, too, with Michael, when he decided to drop the gloves, he could throw them. And he had those bony-ass hands that would just carve guys' faces up. And it was awesome because every time he got in a fight, he knew he was going to cut the guy. 
Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? I, I don't think he gets enough credit for his ability to shoot the puck. Even later oh. on in life, I, I remember playing against him in the FHL at the Harbor Center. He'd come down a couple steps over the blue line, and that release, man, so deceptive. He put it post in like it's his, like it's his job. It was his job. He's an incredible and You know player. what? And even when he played in those leagues and that, and when we play alumni games, he loves doing it because he just loves to show you, you know what? This is what, it, this is what I got. This is what I can do. And he's <laughs> – He's such a deceiving guy, nice, super, you know, all this kind of thing. But he had such a nasty side to him, too, that uh, I loved it. I loved playing with that guy. Shooting pucks and shooting cans of tuna. I love it. <laughs> oh, commercial. Yeah. What was that, Wegmans <laughs> or something, wasn't it? Yeah, Tops. I think it was Tops. I think it was Tops. It might have been, been Tops, yep. Honey, we need tuna. Oh, man. Yeah. Coming, coming right up. Yeah. But – uh. You know, in 99, uh, Razor, you, you, you did take home probably one of your bigger achievements, you know, uh, trophy-wise in your career, I'd imagine, I'm assuming, maybe I shouldn't assume, was the King Clancy Memorial Trophy. Uh, Cully, yep. I know you wanted to take, take this one. Um, you know, if you well, I just I, – I think it's incredible, um, you know, what, what everything you've done for the community and, and just how you're looked upon still and, and, and um, you, know, you know, continuing your career and – um, you know, it's, it's the stuff you do off the ice that, you know, sometimes means more and, and that lasting, you know, that legacy. And, and I mean, just a little bit about what that, what that meant to you and, um, you know, how important that was in everything you've done for the leadership and humanitarianism. I think that's an awesome. Yeah. Award. I think it was a, the, the greatest award you can win because I think that, uh, you know, it, it shows you not as a player so much as, as a human being. And I think that uh, I was taught early when I got here by a lot of guys, you know, Mike Ramsey, Mike Polino, Larry Playford, and that is give back to the community, man. These are, gonna, these are the people that make you, and if they appreciate you and like you, they will make your stay here so much easier. And and that was great advice, and I love giving back to the people. I love doing it. You know, now to this day, I still get my kids and, and, and family involved. I still run our alumni, so we're, we're highly involved a lot. But, you know, I, I don't do it to, for that old hype or – we do so much stuff that nobody even knows about. And, and, I, and I like that better now that when people need help, then we just go do it. We do it, whether it's financially, whether it's whatever they may need, we do it. And we don't need to be patted on the back for it. And, and you know, most of the time it's, it's my family knows about it and the family that we're helping and that's it. And that's all that really needs to be known. And I, I just think it's so important out there now for, for these young kids and especially the players to realize that you got to do it. You got to give back to the people and they're the ones that make you. This is the town that's supporting you. And in any way, shape or form, you can make a difference. Somebody's life, you do it. And, and I think that uh, God's got away from that a little bit over the years, I think. But, you know, it, it's nice to see when guys step up and they do something good and and they're not doing it. I hate it when they do it just for the recognition. I like doing it because they want to do it and, and that they, you know, they can do it and they will do it and they're willing to do it. So that's the way I, I used to hear stories, Rob, uh, about you and guys like Patty who like, you know, at night or, you know, during the day you would sneak into children's hospital and just go visit kids and whatnot. Yeah. And I used to think that was so cool because again, and uh, Cully has a great story about Kobe Bryant. Uh, I'm sure he'd like to, you know, shed real quick before we got to let you go. Uh, um, just, you know, going in there and just being there. I, I was going to ask you what you thought Buffalo, what makes Buffalo so great. You know, I think you really just answered it for us. Um, 
you know, Cully, do you, do you want to share that story real quick? I, I mean, I will once we get off, he gets off the air because I know he's got to run. But I, yeah. like you said, it's just it's not doing it for the notoriety raiser. It's it's all your work between Roswell and the Make a Wish Foundation, and, and you know, doing it behind closed doors. And 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 I just think that, like you said, it speaks volumes to your character and why you're so beloved in this city. You know. Um, it, it, you know, being such a tough guy on the ice, but having that heart and that kindness to be able to, you know, take a few minutes out of your day to make somebody's day, week, year, yeah. you know, and that's incredible. And I, like I said, I think it speaks volumes of your character and why you're such a fan favorite, why you're a favorite of ours. Well, it, it's not hard, you know, guys, it's, it's not hard. It's just, you know, being wanting to do it. And, and I think that, uh, you know, if you, you, when you said about the people in this town, these people in this town are special. And because I, as you said, I've been involved with a lot of charity things. And all of a sudden, you make a couple phone calls, bang, you make it happen. People here are willing to help. And I think that's the big thing because they understand it. And it doesn't matter if you're highly successful in this town or, you know, you're struggling to, to survive every day. Everybody here is either, either come from that, dealt with that, has family members that are part of that. And so they understand it. It's not foreign to them. They, they, they know what people are going through and they want to make a difference. So yeah, probably more than anything, they learned from the people of this town how to treat people and how to, uh, you know, to be that person. So, you know, I thank them for that because it's, it's out there all the time. And, and I'll tell you what, you could make two phone calls right now and anything you'd have to get uh, for somebody to help them out, you'd have it instantly. Absolutely. Um, now, with your, you know, one last thing, with, you know, with your career, obviously in color commentator, like the transition over to that, what's it like, kind of working with with RJ, you know, a local legend in himself, uh, you know, what's that been like? Obviously, going from playing the game to calling the game, especially at that level, like right right there in between the benches, where it's not always the most the simple safe place to be. Uh, yeah. Has that been a lot of? I mean, I imagine you know it's been a ton of fun for you, but. Any good stories, uh, you know, obviously outside of, like, the Ottawa brawl where you're just in between hell uh, with Lindy on one side and Brian Murray on the other? Like, anything, anything fun, you, any, any good stories of fun you've had uh, while, 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 obviously, this transition that you've had since 2012 over to color commentary? Well, I'll tell you what, working with RJ is awesome. And RJ is a beautiful man. He's one of the most generous people I've ever met. When I first started working with him, I was scared to death of him, even coming out, knowing him forever, because he didn't hesitate to say something to you like, why the hell would you say that? You know, we'd go to commercial and all of a sudden, I'd, what the hell are you saying that for? And I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know, I don't, you know. So, <laughs> and then, you know, after the game, you'd, you'd scurry around to the dressing room and you'd get on the bus and you'd find him a couple beers and say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, you give him a, and then he's, he's all good, but. Unbelievable guy to work with. You know, he's he's a 70, almost 80-year-old man that you sit there and he texts you every day about stuff. You talk almost every day. Um, he's, he's just a pleasure to work with. And, you know, hopefully he continues. But being in the, between the benches is the best place you could possibly be because my, my vision of doing what we do, you've got to be a part of it. Sitting up top and all that kind of thing, it, it isolates from you. You don't hear the stuff that's going on. You don't see the little things that are going on. You don't get a feel for what's going on on the ice or on the bench. Uh, and, I, and I think it's so important to be there. And I just, I just love that side. As far as being down there, the scoring side, you know, it's the same, same old stuff all the time. You hear the stuff, kids saying stuff back and forth to each other. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be years ago. Uh, you know, there's, there's lines now. Years ago, there wasn't those lines. 
I think when Steve Ott left was the last real entertaining guy that you would actually sit there and, and listen to and go, oh, my God, the hell are you saying? You can't say that. But it was it was awesome because he, he took it to that line all the time. But, you know, getting hit with pucks and hit with sticks and, you know, all of a sudden it would hurt. But all of a sudden it still gives you that feel of being in the game sometimes too. And it's like sometimes you almost stick your head over the side just hoping that you might get pinged with something just so you can still have that feel of, of the game itself, but no better place to be and, and no better job to have because I don't have to be in practice now. I don't have to be in shape now. I don't have to do anything other than sit and talk about the games. And, and the great thing now, I get paid more now than I did for my first seven or eight years of playing in the NHL. What? That's oh, not so bad it. either. Well, hey, like you said, it's just being – there's no better place than, than to be, you know, ice level. You see the game in a different way. Yeah. And, and, and you're in the game. And, and I don't yeah. think – Unless you've been there at that level, you, you don't realize just how much of, of the flow. I, I There's no w- good word to put it, but it's it's that energy within the game. And, and I realize now coaching and, and being on the bench, it's it's the closest thing that I can get to what I had as a player. And, and being in there and being involved in, in the flow and the energy and feeling it. So I uh, love the way that yeah, you bring that passion and energy and, you know, encapsulate that blue collar kind of mentality. And that's what makes it special. And I think that's what makes you such a successful uh, color guy. And, and hopefully we have many more years of you and RJ to come because I think we're spoiled here in Buffalo with, you know, oh, I think yeah, the best, best play-by-play guy to ever do it. And, you know, one of the best color guys to do it. You guys have a great chemistry and what you're able to do and provide us with the insight is incredible. Well, I'm going to work as long as RJ does, and then I can, uh, you know, that'll be enough and, and walk away from it. Ah! <laughs> All right. Are we, should, we, should we be excited for Royal Blue, Rob? I mean, going back to the, the old colors a little bit, a little bit of the scheme, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, it's something different. You know, shake it up a little bit. We've had a hard time here Love in the it. last little while, so any kind of distraction you have, something a little different, why not, uh, you know, change it up a little bit. Absolutely. Well, Rob, you're, uh, I know you know you got to get out into the old Pepsi Center. Uh, what it will always yeah, be known I got my as, little man uh, right there. He just can't wait to get out there and do a skating lesson. So. <laughs> All right. So All right. Uh, thanks again for coming on with us, Rob. I hope we can have you on again sometime in the future. Uh, it's been a pleasure, man. An absolute honor. Uh, Cully? No, hey, thanks again. You know, best of luck to your little guy there who gets to, you know, you know, start his journey throughout, throughout the ranks of hockey, man. There's nothing better. I wish I could go back and do it all over again. But like Dwayne said, we really appreciate your time, Razor. Uh, you're a legend here in Buffalo for, for a good reason, man. And, uh, you know, not just the stuff you've done on the ice, you know, you know protecting your teammates, which I think is ingrained in that Buffalo mentality. But, and, and then the way that you, you bring it every night uh, as, as, a, as a color guy. So, um, you know, not only thanks for joining the show, but thanks for everything you've done for this great city of ours, man. We really appreciate it. And like Dwayne said, we'd love to have you back on. And hopefully uh, around this time next year, it's we're talking Buffalo playoff hockey. I hope so. And anytime, I'd love to come on. You guys are very good. You're very educated on what's going on. And, you know, this is home for me now. This is my home. My wife is from here. This is where our family makes her home. So we, uh, we appreciate what we have here because it's a, it's a great, great place to live, raise a family, and, and just call home. Hopefully we'll have a shirtless Rob Ray statue in Alumni Plaza someday in the next 10 years, man. I, I already yeah, know. Shirt, I already doesn't know already... Now. shirt doesn't come off now unless it's really dark and I'm by myself. Okay? So... <laughs> no, we'll do it. We'll, 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 we'll take a pose back from the late 80s, early 90s. Those were those yeah. the glory days for all Razor. Yeah. yeah, I doubt that'll ever happen because uh, I'm not going to get into that. So. 
appreciate it, guys. Hey, thanks again, right. Rob. Thanks hey, again, Ray. Care, guys. Stay safe. You too. Bye -bye. You too, sir. Dwayne, that was awesome, man. What a beauty he is. That was yeah, he hasn't hung up yet. <laughs> I haven't. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, we're still looking at you. Yeah, we're still. Oh. <laughs> we're, I'll get oh, it. Come on, I'll tie your skates up. <laughs> still you got to put the skates and everything on outside here at the Pepsi Center. Oh, it's a gong show. So, yeah, they got to have all dressed to go in. Just so like this guy called. House we just got called bastards. I love yeah, it. I'll grab your helmet. So. You'd what think an 11 year old could tie up his skates now, wouldn't you? You would think, yeah. I was tying my skates at 11 Razor. I'll say that. Yeah, we were goalies today. Big clown shoes. Yeah, you know what? It's time. I told him the other day I can't wait till he turns 18 so I can sucker him. <laughs> hey, be careful what you wish for there. You'll be pushing what, 50, 55 then? Maybe he'll he'll take 50, after 55. He's 11. I'm 52 already, dude. <laughs> Too many fucks to the head, I guess, right, Carly? Yeah, oh I've, I've had a few too many. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it goes quick. So if you ever have kids, enjoy it. Oh, I already so. got two little ones, my man. That They're going to be uh, Hadley's just learning how to skate. So hopefully uh, we're talking oh, awesome. a future Buffalo. You want your gloves? Yeah, might you want need your jersey? All right, I'm going to shut that off in a second here. but. <laughs> My son's not capable of digging his own stuff up. Oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, we got some unbelievable extras here. <laughs> <laughs> here, take that to Sarah. <laughs> All right, there you go, buddy. All right, boys. Awesome. All right, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, All right, guys, take care. See you, man. Me too, sir. Right. That was fucking great. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and loyal listeners of Two Go is One Mike, you have just been treated to a little bit of extra Rob Ray. And you know what? Oh, my God. Great guy, man. And, I, you know, I, like I said, that story of, of when I was in the tunnel for that, uh, that Bowman Cup, that's 100% true. Without missing a beat, Dwayne, I said, hey, Razor, you want to go? And just soup right off, you know, bare knuckles right in the cage. And he didn't even – I believe it. And I he's got some hams on his. He's got some ham, some oh, hams for hams, dude. I wish, Thanks. I wish that people we could have done like the the video to see that guy's meat claws because they are just gigantic. Do you um, know who? Do you know who had bigger hands? Brad May. Really? Brad May's hands were huge. Yeah. If you ever, because when he was working with the Sabers doing the intermission, uh, intermission stuff, you get you obviously could see his hands. He did a lot of like stuff with his hands. Dude, these things were huge. I would be terrified. I, dude, I, I'd call in sick tonight. I'm playing the Sabres if I knew Rob Ray when he hit me in the face with that thing. I'm like, yeah, I, I got the flu. I can't play tonight. No, I got the old <laughs> Buffalo flu. I got the old Buffalo flu. No. Carly, that was great. No, that was a great – hey, and you know what I just realized? Going back, you know how we hear uh, Biz Nasty always say goodnight, Jim Kite? I think yeah. it might be dating back to March 10th, 1996. Rob Ray is in a tilt, and he absolutely dime pieces Jim Kite here. And let's see if Good I can get night. the audio here. He absolutely decked Jim Kite with a wild right, and Kite is down. Good night, with Jim. A wild, how about this? With a wild right, good night, Jim Kite. Man, I'm telling you. Like, I, was, I love I it. I was always wondering what the origins of that was, and I don't know if it's because of that, but, buddy – 
what you know what what a treat he was he's just uh you know a phenomenal guy and uh answers like you your first question just about how he uh you know kind of doesn't give that cliche answer and uh you know we've had some interviews and you know i don't want to name any names but we've been lucky for the most part but uh you know he really he really breaks the mold in that sense and, and just, you know, gives thoughtful, true answers. And uh, what you see is what you get from him. And, man, what a treat that was. A great interview and, and a great guy. Great extras at the end, man. Oh, my God. Tell oh, I love it. Shut up. Tell yeah, just just shut up. Love it. Just shut up. Think he's tied his own skates. Tie your own skates. You know what, though? You're 11. You should be doing this yourself. That kid's going to be better for it in the long run. I, oh, I, I try to take the same mentality with my daughters. Uh, they give it right back to me. Um, and, uh, they got too much of their dad's DNA in that one, uh, firing it right back at me. But, um, you know what, really, really happy that we were able to do that one. And, and, uh, you know, something that I, I think that, um, you know, we can't, we could have went for another two hours. Let's oh, absolutely. But, you know, thoughts and prayers to, to the Howard Chuck family and, and Dale's, uh, battle, uh, because, you know, he's another guy that encapsulated everything it meant to be, to be a Buffalo Saber and, uh, you know, a tough times for them. And then, you know, our thoughts and prayers here from the two goalie, one Mike family and, hope, and uh, hoping and praying that he pulls through here. Um, so I, I know that he's meant a lot to a, a lot of a lot of different people and, and he touched a lot of different lives. So we're pulling for you, Dale, and, and uh, hope that you can pull through this one, buddy. Absolutely, man. Howard truck strong. Yep. Yep. No doubt. Um, so, hey, well, hey, how about that? We'll take a quick break. You'll hear from one of our sponsors here. And when we get back to two goalies, one Mike. We will talk about the demise of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, buddy. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop, created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitt's is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mitts to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitts Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, it is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? 
then Mitz is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitz back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitz for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show, and we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitz just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to two goalies, one Mike. Welcome back. Um, you know, another quick shout out to our sponsors. Uh, wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. And, you know, another shout out to Trainwreck Sports. Those guys have been awesome, you know, since they've taken us under their wing. Um, real big fans of them. If you haven't already, check out Crossing Swords podcast. Uh, they're electric dynamite. I know you're on there quite a bit, Dwayne, and I love what you guys do. Um, so, you know, with that being said, uh, before I get to the, uh, the updated playoffs, it's a big day for us and a big day for you. Love the way you're in the <laughs> Dwayne. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't catch it. Uh, what happened with the Leafs game last night? Um, they got fucking dummied 3 nothing. And hold on a second, because I did this last night. I just want to do a recap. This, if you, I mean, if you want to know my my You, you fucking maple syrup chugging, fake bacon eating, duty free swindling, bunch of fucking goose. I am. So, uh, this is a great day, Cully. And you know what? It's gonna be even better when they lose the draft lottery tonight and they come out of this with nothing, nothing. Oh God! I mean, it, it, it's such a great day to be a hockey fan because, in my opinion, the Leafs are the Dallas Cowboys slash New York Yankees of hockey. Nobody fucking likes them. Nobody can stand them. I like I I love the fans. Don't be wrong. I have a great relationship with a lot of the fans up there. But fuck that organization. Fucking 45, 40, 45 million dollars paid up, tied up in four players, and they get dummied in a playing round. Not in a first round, a playing round. Have fun, you bunch of fucking idiots. You know what? I I think there's an interesting stat. So if if you couldn't already tell. The Maple Leafs lost. Um, and I thought it was funny, Dwayne. You said you have a great relationship with their fans. I think some of them would, would choose a different uh, adjective. No, but I, I love the interactions. I think it's healthy for the rivalry. And uh, I think that's what we got to make it make it into again is a rivalry. And uh, that only happened with the Sabres becoming better. And I think next year is, is we'll start to see that. But um, give credit where credit's due. The Maple Leafs had an electric comeback in game four. Um, even if you're not a fan of the Maple Leafs, that was just fun to watch three goals in under uh, three minutes to tie the game. And you would think with all that momentum, they'd be able to come out, but they lay an egg here, not able to get on the board. Um, you know, as being a goalie podcast, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Corpusalo's absolute phenomenal performance. Oh, him and, and, um, and uh, don't discount what Elvis did in game four. Elvis yeah. made over 50 saves, even though it was a losing effort. The only reason this even made it to a game five, because Zach Wierenski gets hurt with 10 minutes left in the third period. Only reason this even makes it to game five, and I bet my entire 401k on it, that if Wierenski and Seth Jones were still paired out there in the last five minutes of that game, which they probably, out of those last five minutes, they're probably playing three of those minutes. 
I, I'd, I'd have to believe that there's no way that even makes the game five. Yeah. And um, you know what, Frederick Anderson, I, I thought he played okay, but you know that when you, you can't win in you can't win a game when you don't score but talk about momentum saves or momentum goals uh that second goal was a real killer for them ooh, man ooh, yeah that, that can't go in from that angle you know eight minutes left and you know i can't wait we we have our next goalie guest on talking about the the reverse bh the reverse vh and, and how that yeah. is uh you know been uh, you know maybe utilized at the wrong times but uh, you know, just a, a simple look and play from the goal line, a left-hand yeah, shot, maybe yeah. two feet out, um, just finds a way in. And uh, unfortunate for letting, the Leafs. Letting your head and shoulder come off the post, not being patient with it. I, I, I understand. We're goalies. We know we know the purpose of the reverse VH, the RVH. We know why it's there. So we can play off the post to the pass, pass in the slot, you know, to, uh, to be better prepared for that. But at the same time, like you can't bring your head and your shoulders off that post. You have to be patient with it, <laughs> and and you know he made him pay for it. You know, like it, that's the second time in this playoffs we've seen a bad goal. And, and I can't remember the first one. I don't think it was on Anderson, but just a bad goal. It might have been on Murray actually with Pittsburgh, uh, the uh, the one I'm thinking of, or uh, Tristan Jari. But just a bad goal from an angle like that because you're not patient with it. You come off your post a little too early, and they make you pay for it. Yeah, and um, that was a killer, and they were the Leafs were unable to, you know, recapture that comeback magic they had in Game Four. Uh, they seal it there, um, you know, with another empty netter uh, late. But you know what, the Leafs, it's it's a tough tough one to stomach. But I credit where credits to John Tortorella. I'm you know big big friend of the program. I love the way he's been able to take this group. And like you mentioned, the Maple Leafs, that first line, they, they, had, um, they had Marner, Matthews, and Tavares all on one line. Those three guys all made – those three guys made more than Columbus's whole forward group. I think that yeah. puts everything into perspective right there. That's all that needs to be said about that. Um, and, but, and they disappeared. They disappeared too often. Maybe not Matthews, but Tavares. There were times where Tavares disappeared. Nylander was non-existent, Marner non-existent. It was just, you know, you have all this money tied up in these four guys. And here's the thing I don't understand. And I got into it with a Toronto fan earlier today on Twitter. I said, you know, how they, they got outcoached. They did. Tortorella outcoached, you know, Sheldon Keith. Like, how can you even dispute that? You put all your firepower on two lines that said, fuck your bottom six. And it's not like their defense was very stellar at all. I'm personally, I think they have a very lackluster uh, core of defense in there in, in Toronto, and not not consistent enough to to win or sustain success. But you know, you you, 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 you stacked your top two lines in a five game series, and you lost. You, you got shut out twice. You, you, that can't happen when you have the type of fire firepower. You can't get shut out twice in a five game series with the type of firepower Toronto has. You just can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you know what, that's, it's, it's, it's a tough way to go out. They, they're not even in the real playoffs here. And uh, like you said, that's a lot of it's money awesome. to be tied up in, with, with a few forwards and um, they haven't gotten the results. And I wonder what it, what's, what are those internal discussions going on right now between Shanahan and Dubas um, and Sheldon Keefe? I mean, that's a, that's an empty, empty feeling right now for them. You have a lot of this money tied up into this core and uh, I, I just think they don't have enough that sandpaper, that grit. You, you need uh, you know, every team finds a way to, to, you know, have that healthy balance. But 
that's a lot of money tied up into these guys. And if, if that doesn't work, you got to wonder, you know, who's on their way out because Tavares has got a no-move clause. Uh, pretty sure that, um, you know, you're not moving Matthews. So between Marner and Nylander, you know, do you move one of them? So they're handcuffed and they got to find a way to make it work with that group or, you know, they're going to have to get comfortable with losing. And, and I think in that market, that's just not going to fly. So um, they had sandpaper though with Kadri and, you know, he, he's gone, you know, I'm not saying you should have, you should have chosen Kadri over a guy like Nylander. Nylander's younger and probably more talented, but Kadri gave you that, you know, again, that, gave that, you something that, that, that those other three guys don't yeah. provide. You're absolutely right. Um, before we move on to the other, uh, what else we got going on? Any final thoughts on that, Dwayne? I know you could dance on the Maple Leafs graves all all night, but uh, you know it's just it's hey, a lot of lot of lot of tough questions that they got to ask themselves and they got to answer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward here. Burn it down, baby! Burn it the fuck down! I love it when Toronto is absolutely miserable. Oh man, like nothing nothing warms my heart even at, at more. And wait, when they spend four times the face value on a ticket to come watch them play here in Buffalo, and then I sit there and we and we and we beat them. And again, like you know, with Razor, what he mentioned earlier, uh, you know, back when he played, they owned Toronto. Maybe not so much today, but when we when we beat Toronto, man, nothing warms my fucking heart more than watching them walk through, uh, you know, walk through the atrium with their heads held you know, with their heads down. And they can't sing that stupid soccer song. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Low leaf, low. Suck leaf, suck. You know, fuck them. Fuck them. So, with that being said, um, really looking forward to our next show, folks. And uh, we encourage you to tweet at us uh, at two goalies, one Mike, at Dwayne S39, uh, at Kid Cully33. Um, We'd love to field some of your questions. So just I'll go through the, the series we got right now. We should be dropping, um, you know, our next episode here uh, before these series are out. But uh, in our next episode, me and Dwayne are going to go through a little bit of our preview. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys and your takes. Um, so right now we got, you know, I, I've been on the Philadelphia bandwagon here before the season started. Really love the way that this team's made up. I think uh, Couturier is probably the most underrated player in the league. Uh, if he's not the Selkie winner, you know, he should be. Um, but, you know, you got Claude Giroux, you got Voracek. I'm a big Kevin Hayes fan. And then, you know, the biggest piece, Kata Hat has just been electric. I got the chance to meet him. You know, his goalie coach in Pittsburgh is Shane Clifford. Cliffy's a friend of mine, friend of the program. He's somebody that we're going to have on in the near future. And I'd love to get his insight about Carter Hart uh, because, you know, he's his personal goalie coach uh, and works with the, the Flyers now too. Um, but you got the Flyers taking on the Canadians, and um, that'll be a good one. Really, you know, I, 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 we could go right now two hours just breaking this down, but we won't do that. We'll save that for next episode. So you got them kicking off on, on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, game one. Uh, then you got Tampa Bay taking on Columbus. Uh, rematch of last year, that'll be electric. Uh, it'll be a tough one for Tampa Bay, especially if Hedman's out for an extended period of time because Stamkos is already a question mark, and you got those demons from last year. Uh, coming up, you got Washington and, and New York Islanders. Um, you know, the storyline there is um, – who's the coach I'm thinking of? Not Bruce Boudreau. Um, Barry Trotz. Barry know, Trotz. Barry, Barry Trotz. Trotz is the bench boss now for the Islanders. Obviously, he led Washington to the 2018 Stanley Cup championship. So, that'll be an interesting one. That one's another one that kicks off Wednesday. That'll be at 3 p.m. 
on NBC Sports. And then rounding out the Eastern Conference, you got the Boston Bruins versus the Carolina Hurricanes. So that one's an interesting one for me, Dwayne, because you got Boston Bruins who, you know what, had, had a real rough start going 0-3. You know, that yeah, top line has a going. And so maybe your coldest team against your hottest team because Carolina, boy, they look fucking dangerous, Dwayne. And uh, tough, that man. one starts – He is an absolute – he is an absolute gem to watch, man. Oh, my God. Him and Ajo. And James Reimer coming in playing Reimer. absolutely unbelievable. Mrazek, too. Mrazek, I know you don't like that guy. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Team Shut it down right, right now. We do not talk about him. He is Voldemort. It's the name we do not speak. No, but that's uh, all. I'm like I get. I might get a Mrazek jersey. I won't be mad. I fucking hate you. Oh, God damn it. So that one starts uh, Carolina-Boston starts uh, Tuesday at 8. Uh, moving over to the Western Conference, you got Vegas and Chicago. Um, should be a good one there too, especially if Leonard's in the pipes. Here's a guy that Chicago, you know, traded him over to Vegas. And I didn't think this would even be a storyline coming in. Who's in pipes with Vegas, but Robin Leonard's played his way into the conversation. That's another one that kicks off Tuesday. That'll be a late game. Um, love this time of year, man. Loved, love this past week of hockey, having three, four, five games on its electric factory. Um, then you got Colorado, Arizona, Arizona's looked very good. Darcy Kumper's playing well. Uh, Colorado is a dark horse too, Dwayne. I don't know about you, but I like them right now. Colorado's a dark one. Call it Colorado a dark horse. That team is stacked. I mean, oh, Arizona, I, Arizona I, being a dark oh, horse. Oh, right I thought you said Colorado. I did um, say that. It was Arizona. I misspoke. No, it's fine. Um, Arizona, I like Arizona too, man. I like I like the fact that they went back to the old uh, the old school jerseys. I love it. The Kachina um, jerseys. Yeah, no, that'll be yep, a fun one. Exactly. The Kachina jerseys. Um, I'm a big fan out of the West. I, I, you know, and this is my bias for it. Like my friends up in Vancouver, I like the Canucks. I think they got a lot of depth up the middle there. And I think uh, Markstrom's a great goaltender who might be able to get it done for him. Um, I, lo- I I think Colorado's kind of like written the blueprint on how to develop a hockey team and how to, how to build a team. Uh, you know, kind of like we got used to with seeing shit with Chicago and Pittsburgh. They built the draft. They added pieces, like you mentioned earlier. Kadri uh, is now in Colorado. Um, you know, I'm extremely uh, excited to see what comes out of, uh, you know, out of the West. Uh, you know, I, I, I personally think that, uh, you know, the, the winner of the Cup will come out of the West. Well, and I can't wait to hear your picks for next show. Um, it's going to be electric. After that, rounding it out, two last series. You got Dallas taking on Calgary. That one starts Tuesday as well. And then St. Louis, the reigning Stanley Cup champs, taking on Vancouver. So maybe we get Harmon back on, a little talk, uh, maybe get him on for a few minutes uh, for our next show. Um, but guys, be sure to, to tweet at us any questions you got, anything you want us to cover, any of your predictions too. Maybe we'll get a few of those on the air. But uh, you know what? We got best time of year right now, Dwayne. What an electric interview that was with Razor. Um, and mm-hmm. like you said, we got you, got your ability to dance on Toronto's grave a little bit. We'll, we'll have oh, more of that it. for next episode too, because it's not going to get hey, old, my friend. Draft lotteries tonight too, so you might get some more of it tonight, Twitter fans. Twitter fans. Because uh, if they do lose this draft lottery, I might get naked on Niagara Street. I don't even care. I might be bailing Dwayne out. I might be bailing Dwayne out of jail for public nudity. No, but, hey, an electric episode, Dwayne. Really looking forward to dropping this for the fans. I think they're going to love Razor's content, man. He's a guy that I can't wait to have back on. Uh, But also, man – I, I'm looking forward to doing this uh, this Stanley Cup preview. I know the Cross and Swords is, is doing theirs too, so um, be sure to check them out as well as ours. And uh, really looking forward to you know hopping back on in a couple of days here and uh, really hashing out these series because it's a fun time of year, brother. And I don't know if I told you, I think I might have. Uh, 
We will have a guest on for next show, uh, Jean-Luc Grandpierre, TV analyst, former NHL hockey uh, NHL player, former Buffalo Sabre, uh, is going to join us and talk some playoffs. Beauty, beauty. Well, hey, we, uh, you know, this one will probably be dropping here Tuesday. Um, you know, we're recording this now on Monday, but uh, you know what? Tune into that draft lottery. Can't wait to see what comes of it. And uh, like I said, great interview with Razor, man. That's a ton of fun. And um, like I said, again, man, I'm really looking forward to this playoff preview. So be sure guys tweet us at any of your predictions or anything you guys want to hear us talk about. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Dwayne. It's a great episode, man. Awesome job from you and, and awesome getting Razor on, man. Any final thoughts here? Nope. Uh, just, you know, fuck the Leafs and uh, let's get back to watching play, real playoff hockey. I can't wait. Love it. All right. For two goys, one Mike, I'm Johnny Cohen for Dwayne Stein. Now, this has been episode 26 of Two Goalies, One Mike.
Podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting. Ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. Will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support. And be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.